All right. So we are to these final verses ascribing the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 17 through 20. Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, very simple layout for what we have here. We first have the, the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation. So, helmet in Greek means helmet. And then we've got the sword of the Spirit, helmet of salvation. All right, so the helmet of salvation, uh, Paul actually talks about this helmet in another place uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8 as he contrasts those who are of the darkness and those who are of the light. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. In other words, we're paying attention, not like somebody who's drunk. Uh, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. When he talks about the hope of salvation, he's looking at salvation. And remember, the word salvation, in fact, we, think about the English word um, salvation. We can, you can kind of, if you have, if you were to, and I think this is an old word, like from Andy Griffith days, but, you know, if you've got salve, uh, some kind of ointment to put on, it's supposed to be healing, okay? And salvation, the word salvation can refer to healing, it can refer to rescue, it can refer to deliverance. And when we talk about the, the saving that God does of us, it's really all of those things. He is, he is rescuing us, uh, delivering us from the tyranny of Satan and of sin. He, he's rescuing us from death. He's healing us from our sin plague. And when Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, or the helmet, the hope of salvation, there in First Thessalonians 5, he's looking toward our ultimate deliverance, our ultimate rescue, our, our final future deliverance. And we can, we can properly say one day we will be saved, okay? Because there is a future orientation, and typically we would call that what we looked at this morning, the stage of glorification. When we're glorified with Christ, we enter into our inheritance. But it's also correct scripturally to say that we have been saved. When we look back to the moment of our conversion, and sometimes we'll ask a person, are you saved? Uh, are you a Christian yet? And it's right also that we say we are being saved. For right now, God is at work in us through the Holy Spirit, applying that deliverance, that healing in our lives in a process we call sanctification, making us more and more like Jesus, setting us apart to God. So here, Paul calls it just the helmet of salvation, and that would take in past, present, and future parts of our salvation. We want to remember because we're talking about the supernatural uh, things that we need, supernatural strategies for spiritual war. 
we want to remember that our salvation is only as a gift by the grace of God. Like nobody earns their salvation. It's a supernatural deliverance. And God's saving us as we think about the spiritual battle. It's the fact that God has saved us that ultimately is our protection. Knowing that we are his saved ones, that we are people of his salvation, protects us in the spiritual war that we fight. And, you know, think about it. Many of Satan's assaults go after our minds, go after what's between our ears. And Satan's the master of deception. We know that in battle, a head wound is a serious wound. Um, You often lose lots of blood. You you lose brains. um, You lose your life. So we need head protection uh, in this battle. And so there's no way we survive this battle. There's no way we don't just end up uh, being casualties of war unless, first off, we have salvation. So this is not about, this armor of God is not about uh, spiritual disciplines that we as human beings work up for ourselves. It's about something that God actually gives to us. And of course, we've been calling this the armor of God in the first place. Second supernatural strategy is the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We talked about the the large two-handed sword uh, that Roman soldiers uh, sometimes use. In fact, Simon, when he talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus, said that a sword would pierce her heart also. Um, the, the, the suffering, the grief that she would experience would be like one of those long uh, two-handed swords just piercing her through. And those of you who've been through the death of a loved one, death of a child, the death of a spouse, know that uh, you feel the literal pain in your, in your chest uh, as you lose that individual. But here, Paul is referring to the Roman soldier's most useful offensive weapon, the short sword, useful in close combat for stabbing, slicing, and deflecting um, the thrust of the enemy, very maneuverable. And you'll note that Paul calls this weapon the sword of the Spirit, Why would he call it the sword of the Spirit? Well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gave us the Word in the first place. It's the Spirit of God who moved among the holy men of old so that what they wrote were the actual words of God. It's the Spirit of God that uses the Word, uses the seed of the Word to actually regenerate us. We, We are born again by the Spirit. He uses the Word of God. It's the Word of God that sanctifies us, that sets us apart. So, you know, sometimes we'll talk as, people will talk as if the Spirit and the Word are at odds. Like, well, I know what the Bible says, but the Spirit was leading me to do whatever. Not, okay, if the Spirit is leading you to do what the Bible contradicts, then it's a different Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works, I mean, Look, he knows what the Bible says, right? The Holy Spirit knows what the Bible says, okay? He's he's not going to act contrary to what he's delivered over to us. And so it's the the sword of the Spirit. Spirit uses the Word to convict us and to convince us um, that the gospel is actually true and brings us to faith in Christ. And when we're reminded 
of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4 regarding the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, you know, sometimes people think, think Christians are really weird. You know, they're reading this old book, and somehow they think this old book is going to have anything to do with life now, and they, they just don't get it. Well, Spurgeon used to say, he compared the Word of God to a lion. He says, you don't defend a lion, you just turn it loose. And, and what we find is when the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, and when the Word of God is preached, God has a way of using that Word, which has been written down, and is now being delivered, of actually piercing right into who we are and uncovering things. You know, there are times the Word of God will uncover things in the, in the listener that the preacher isn't even aware that's there. It, it happens all the time. In fact, sometimes people say, well, how can you preach from one passage, you know, to 900-plus people and expect it to have any kind of relevance to them? Well, mainly because I've seen it do it over and over and over again. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God in a way that <clears throat> it actually pierces in. It discerns who we actually are. And had a, a number of experiences like this, but... Um, I'll never forget one in particular where uh, a young man that God was drawing to himself, he wasn't a believer yet, but, but he was being drawn toward the Lord. And on, on the day, <clears throat> the days leading up, the Sundays leading up to his conversion, he said it was like the room fogged out. And, and as I was preaching, it was like God was just talking straight to him. Like nobody else was there. And God does that. This is the sword of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God discerns, knows who we actually are, and talks to us as we actually are. Well, Paul often uses the word logos to refer to uh, the Scriptures, to the Word. We get the word logic from that, or to keep a log book, that kind of thing. It was a favorite word for uh, the Greeks, the logos. In fact, John uses logos to refer to Christ Himself as the Word that was with God, and that was God, and that was made uh, manifest to us. But here Paul uses a different word, rhema, <clears throat> which instead of referring to the Word of God in general, so this is the Word of God, this Instead of logos, this is the word rhema. I know that's too small for those in the back to see, but that's, that's what it looks like uh, transliterated into English, rhema. Um, he uses that word because this word re refers to particular utterances from God that fit a specific occasion. In other words, it's not just that you, like, open the Bible, like, uh, what am I going to do for my devotions today? Okay, Word of God. It's more like, what does the Word of God say about this particular topic? What particular guidance would God give me in this situation? That's the rhema of God. The ability to use the particular words of God to fit the situation is a powerful weapon in the hands of a Christian warrior. And that ability, think about, well, how could I develop that ability? That requires time in the Word. 
It requires familiarity with what God's Word says enough that, that God brings it to your mind when you're in the battle. Now, it's not that we, you know, I, I, I think there are a few of us that could say that we've got all the Bible memorized. There are some people really good at, at memorizing, but, but it's amazing if you'll spend time in the Word of God, how often in, in the moment of the battle, in the moment when you need to share the gospel, in the moment when you need to help a brother or sister in Christ or someone who doesn't know Jesus, God will bring to mind what you have looked at even earlier that day or what you've been meditating on or sometimes what he brings to your mind even as you wake up in the morning, the rhema of God. Christ himself used Scripture this way, to fight Satan's temptation. You know, Christ didn't just argue against Satan. And significantly, Satan, it was important for Christ to use the rhema of God, the particular uh, word of God, because guess what? Satan was using Scripture too. Ever thought about that? Satan's been around longer than you have, and he knows the Bible better than you do. Okay? But Satan used the Scripture and the temptation of Christ in ways that were dishonest and deceptive. He's great at quoting Scripture to, to trick people. And so it's important, just because someone quotes a Bible verse doesn't mean that what they're saying is so. The question is, is that what the verse actually says? Is that in context or is it ripped out of context? What was that talking about? And we want to be uh, deft with the Word of God. But I don't know if you noticed in our text tonight that the bulk of what Paul talks about in our text tonight is not actually a piece of armor. He talks about pervasive prayer in verses 18 through 19. Let's look at verse 18 first. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So, all times with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance and for all the saints. So, <clears throat> that's a lot of praying. Um, Paul doesn't call prayer a weapon or a piece of armor. Sometimes we'll refer to it as the weapon or armor of all prayer. But think about it. Think about what prayer is and what prayer is for. Prayer is talking to God. And we talk about prayer, we talk about supplication, making particular petitions to Him. It's a call for God to help us. And that means that the battle against Satan is, in fact, too much for us to handle on our own. We dare not fight this battle by ourselves, even with our armor strapped on. We have to have God fighting alongside us, for ultimately the battle is the Lord's. And I don't know that I've ever thought about the passage this way. I was thinking so much in, in armor, but this isn't a piece of armor. This is saying, God, yeah, I've got the armor, but I need your help. I need your help right now. It's not just stuff you've given to me in the past. I, I need you to fight alongside of me. We fight with all our might, but we are trusting God to win the battles on our behalf. And prayer calls on Him to do just that. Well, when should we be praying? We see it's at all times. At all times, not just sometimes. Okay? So, so think about this. If you're, if you're looking at life as a battlefield, you're on this battlefield, hand-to-hand -hand combat 
with cosmic powers of darkness. Okay? If you're aware of that, then surely you would want to be talking to God as you go through the day. You know, sometimes we're very much aware of our need. We're, we're, we're aware when we're tired. We're aware when we're afraid. We're aware when we're going we're to have to face something that, that we don't really want to face, and, and we'll cry out to God. But if we would also be aware that all the time we're in this spiritual war, that all the time, you know, Satan is looking for people he can devour. Um, he, he's at work trying to confuse us, uh, trying to trip us up, then it makes sense that we would be praying at all times, not just sometimes, talking to God all the time. The, the Puritans called this practicing the presence of God. So, so stop living life like you're on your own, because you're not. You're not. And, and who would want to be on their own in a battle like this? With all prayer and supplication, so not just prayer here and there, not just, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I pray three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and supper. Thank you, God, for this food. Um, but, but we're thinking about prayer coming before God with our petitions and, and with particular requests. So, in other words, this is getting beyond just the be with us prayer. Which, by the way, I don't, the be with us prayer, okay, he is with us, but we, we want to remind ourselves we need him with us. So I don't know that I want to, I don't know that I want to throw that under the bus, be with us. But, but if all you're praying for is be with us, maybe we need to think a little more clearly about what the needs actually are. Who are the people around you that are in need? What are the things that you're facing? What are the battles? What are the temptations? Pray specifically. Come to God with those petitions, with those supplications. And keep alert with all perseverance. So you've got this alert. That means you're not asleep. In fact, this actually means... It's the idea that, that you're not sleeping or you're not able to sleep even, okay? That you're staying awake with all perseverance. You are, you're not quitting. You're not stopping. You don't ever give up no matter what. You're watchful and you're, you're not falling asleep. You're paying attention and then you're making supplication for all the saints, not just some of God's people, but all of God's people. You know, one of the things we started doing some years ago is praying for uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that are in other uh, local bodies in, in our community, other churches. And, and the one test that we had was not whether they're Baptist or not or, or whether they run in quote-unquote our circles, is whether or not they actually preach the gospel. Are, the, are these gospel-preaching churches? And, and we wanted to, to practice this praying for all the saints. I mean, think about those that actually belong to Jesus. This is why we pray as we do for these different countries. We pray for our gospel partners there. We pray for the believers that are in these countries. We want to pray for all the saints. I mean, what would it be like to be a believer living in Ukraine right now? What is it like to be a believer living in Russia right now? What is it like to be a believer living in a Muslim-dominated country where it's illegal for you even to gather or to have a Bible? Um, what is it like to, to be a believer living in Manhattan, New York City, where multiculturalism just like bludgeons you to the ground if you don't 
get with it and, and, and do obeisance to that. If you, if you say that there's actually only one way to heaven, you're, you're a total ignoramus. What is it like to live for God in a place like that? What is it like to live for God in a place like Greenville, South Carolina, with churches all around and where there's lots of religious sounding stuff going on, but sometimes not a lot of religious life? What is it like to be a believer with children that don't know the Lord yet? Or maybe that have rejected the Lord? What is it like to be a believer who has served the Lord and it's like the best days are gone and now your body's falling apart and your, your mind is slipping some? What is it like to be a saint of God dealing with those kinds of difficulties? What is it like to be a saint of God rearing little children that keep you up half the night? Okay? And if you look around and you look at the people, and I encourage you to do this, look at the people in the choir. If you actually get to know them, there's, you can stop at every face and you can think of trials and difficulties that every one of these individuals is facing as they try to serve the Lord and as they try to do right before God. We, we need to make supplication for all the saints. You know, one of the best cures for, for, for being cynical and, and being all depressed about your own life is to start praying for the lives of other people. One, one of the best ways to get past, um, you know, there's some believers that we just naturally gravitate to. There's others that, eh, I don't really want to hang around them too much. I just, we just don't click very well. Well, if you will pray for those individuals, you'll, you'll find more sense of commonality with them, making supplication for all the saints. And included in those saints are those that you might think don't actually need much prayer. Like, you know, we think, well, we need to pray for people that are really at risk. Um, and yet, Paul spends half of this talk about prayer saying, and also for me. I need to pray for the Apostle Paul? Why would we need to pray for the Apostle Paul? I mean, I mean, he's wrote like half the New Testament, and he's like the, the, maybe the best missionary that ever lived, or at least he sure covered a lot of ground. It's not like he's confused about what the gospel is, but look at what he says. Also for me, that words may be given to me. Somehow it seems like Paul wouldn't have a problem coming up with words. Does it seem that way to you? Okay, but, but he's asking for words to be given to him. In opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And you remember that earlier in Ephesians, he talks about the mystery of the gospel. In particular, what was once hidden and now is revealed, and that is that not just Jews, but Gentiles would be included. And, and this cost Paul a lot. A lot of his former friends hated him because he, he actually had the audacity to take the gospel to the, to the ethnicities, to those who were not Jews, and preach the gospel to them, and, and to say that they didn't have to follow Jewish customs in order to be Christians, that the gospel could actually leap those cultural boundaries and, and convert people. And, and people, if you remember, the reason he is in house arrest in Rome is because of the mob that attacked him in Jerusalem. And, 
and they were people from Asia where he had planted these churches, and they accused him of being an enemy of Moses and of the temple, and they practically killed him on the spot, but he was rescued by Roman soldiers with their short sword, um, rescued by them, and, and ended up spending two years in prison in Caesarea. They, they tried to kill him again, um, and then ends up going to Rome and, of course, suffers shipwreck and all of that. So, I mean, this guy has been through an Indiana Jones-type life in terms of the, the hard things that have happened to him because of the mystery of the gospel, because of what was once not revealed that was now revealed. And he says, I, I need to open my mouth boldly for this, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, ultimately, what Paul is praying for here. You know, notice, boldly and boldly, he is praying for courage. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, somebody like the Apostle Paul, you know, he's been beaten with rods, he's been imprisoned, he's, he's had lashes before, he's gone through all this stuff. We say, oh, well, you know, he's a veteran. He's, he's um, you know, he's impervious to fear. Maybe not. You know, if you actually know what being beaten with rods feels like, you probably don't want to be beaten again. If you actually know what it's like to suffer in prison, you don't want to go back. If you actually know what people can do to you, like stone you and leave you for dead, then, then maybe you're a little more reluctant, like, hey, I've been there, done that, don't want to have to go through that again. And, and Paul was a human being like the rest of us. He needed boldness, bold boldly speak what God would give him to speak. And he uses a term that actually refers to freedom of speech. Uh, the term is often associated with the Spirit of God filling the apostles so that they could share the gospel. They're filled with the Spirit, and then they speak boldly. It's the idea of this, this freedom of speech. It's not just courage, but, but you know how sometimes when you try to share something, you just can't quite get the words? The words don't want to come out for whatever reason. He's asking them to pray that God will give them the words so that the words just flow. Sometimes when you're trying to share the gospel, it's like, it's like trying to fight through tank traps. You just like, you can't seem to get the subjects and verbs together. Uh, then, then other times it just like flows. It's like that God is just, just shooting those words right through your mouth um, to share the gospel. More important to Paul than freedom from prison was freedom of speech while he was in prison. You know, sometimes we worry about our job and our income and our health and all these things. The question is, though, that, that more important than being free from illness, more important than being free from, from financial difficulty, more important than being free from mistreatment from other people is to be free to speak boldly the gospel to other people. And we talked last week about the fact that you would think that Satan had shut Paul down. Here he is, this amazing missionary. Okay, so let's shut him up in a prison, and maybe that will shut him up. But it didn't work. The gospel kept going forth and, and kept uh, bringing souls to Jesus. Of all the people on the planet, you would think Paul wouldn't need people to pray that he'd be bold and courageous in preaching the gospel. But he suffered much, and the sufferings he's encountered is not easy to endure. It'd be tempting 
just to keep quiet, keep your head down, and avoid the trouble. So some of us might be on the front end of that. We've never suffered that way, and we don't ever want to suffer that way, so we need to pray this prayer as well. He's an ambassador, but he's an ambassador in chains. You know, normally an ambassador is an important person. He's, he's dressed in rich clothing. He's representing another country. He's not wearing chains. So you have this kind of seeming contradiction. Here he is in chains, but he's an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. And he prays that words will be given to him, that, you know, that, that, you know, he can talk easily enough, but he wants to say the words that God wants him to say. He wants words from God. Even though God used Paul to write half the the New Testament, he needs the prayers of the saints to make his gospel clear. And this isn't the only congregation that that he asked this of. He, He wrote the same kind of thing to the believers in Colossae. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. There's opportunity for sharing the gospel to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, and we talked about the reason he was in prison was ultimately this mystery of the gospel, that Christ would include Jews and Gentiles, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So for all of of Paul's logical ability, he wants to make it clear. And in fact, remember, Peter, Peter confessed, he says, you know, some of the things that Paul writes are kind of hard to understand. And then the unstable use those hard-to-understand things, and they twist the Scriptures like they do the other Scriptures. Um, so Paul says, I, I want to make it clear. You know, sometimes we think that a, a veteran of gospel witness, one of our gospel partners, uh, or a seasoned preacher, or a longtime theologian, doesn't need God's help to proclaim the gospel well when it's time to do so which can be in season or out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not. But the reality is that we all need this kind of prayer, even the veterans. You know, I've preached long enough that I think I've preached tens of thousands of sermons at this point in my life. So for more than 30 years, but I always feel a great need for God to help me say what ought to be said boldly and clearly. You know, you can, I tend to manuscript a lot of stuff, and so I've got all the words there on the page. It doesn't mean it's going to work right, and it doesn't mean that that's exactly what should be said. And you, you pray that God will give liberty, give freedom of speech, so you say exactly what God once said. Paul is writing from house arrest in Rome, awaiting an audience with Caesar, but he asks the saints both in Ephesus and in Colossae, to pray for him this way. Well, did God answer that prayer? Did God answer that prayer? Well, Dr. Luke, who'd been traveling with Paul, describes what happened in the last words of the book of Acts. So here's the answer to this prayer. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So he couldn't just go about. They had to come to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Think about how amazing that is. Not just that he would be bold, 
but they wouldn't be hindered. For two whole years, Paul preached the gospel day by day under house arrest in Rome. God answered this prayer with a resounding yes. And if you think about it, given what our commission is from Christ, don't you think he would still answer it with a great big yes and give us this ability? So as we fight this battle, we want to make sure we're using supernatural strategies for spiritual war. We want to make sure we have salvation protecting our head. If you don't know you belong to Jesus yet, you've got no protection. See to it that you become skillful in handling the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Immerse yourself in it. And never stop calling out to God to help you in the fight. You are clothed with the Lord's army. You need the Lord's strength because the battle is the Lord's. The helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, and pervasive prayer. Supernatural, supernatural weapons of war in this spiritual warfare. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and, Lord, for the great help that it is to us. And now we pray that you would equip us for the spiritual war that we face. We face it on uh, every side. Um, There's so many dangers, even dangers we don't even know about. So many opportunities, opportunities we often don't even see. And we pray, God, that you would help us take to ourselves the whole armor of God so that we might stand firm, that we would fight our battles in the strength of the Lord, and that we would, that we would fight them not on our own, but leaning on you and calling on you to help in the fight and to win the battles for your glory and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray.